You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? Hey, Robert. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. I uh, think eventually somebody's <laughs> going to say, why are you always laughing when you do the intro? And it's because we were I, talking oh, beforehand. Probably. And I'm transitioning in and I'm like, where's he going to go with this one when he starts it off? So, Well, what have you been up to uh, the past few weeks? Because last week we did a, a pretty short intro, right? Because yeah. we were both getting ready to travel. But uh, So it's been a, a, a couple of weeks maybe since we checked in on exciting things in your life. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I don't know about exciting. <laughs> awesome. I don't, yeah, no, I don't we're just, you know, we're in the middle of the semester and we had spring break. So that was good. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't remember. I did mention it, I think, in the last one that my in-laws watched our kiddos for a few days. So that was nice. So we have that and a little bit of a break. But I'm kind of ramping up. I've got, I know this episode will come out, you know, uh, next week, but I'm uh, leaving for Dallas tomorrow for the Christian Association for Psychological Services. They have their international conference in Dallas. And so I'm heading up there for that tomorrow and then going back out to Omaha on Friday for um, Gravity's Deepening Retreat. And so I'll be doing that. Um, so I've been kind of getting ready for a bunch of those things. I've got some grants that I've been submitting. I know this is stuff that you love, but <laughs> but um, but actually, a colleague of mine and I, we did just find out that we got awarded a grant to survey all social work faculty members' views about teaching about religion and spirituality in hmm. social work education. So we're going to do that soon. So that's been keeping me a little bit busy, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, good stuff. Just, uh, jet setting around the country and getting money. So well, I mean, it's a, it's been, it's been busy, but most. Yeah, I feel like that phrase though would be very Holly. different. No, 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 no yeah, exactly. Money. Yeah, <laughs> jet setting around and getting money. Yeah. Well, but the reality is very different, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you? What have you been up to? What exciting things have you been doing? And I know you had mentioned that you and Brooke and Gray went out of town last week. So yeah, yeah. we went and spent yeah. some time in the mountains with some friends of ours right outside mm -hmm. Asheville. So we got to explore Asheville a bit, but spent the rest of the time in the mountains, which was nice. There was no uh, Wi-Fi or anything. So tried to put down my phone as much as possible. Still, you know, got a little bit of Twittering in, but uh, yeah. You know, looked out up at, out out of the mountains and and mm -hmm. tried to relax some, and it was good. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I'm, I, so, what was that like? Do you mind if I ask? Like, what was that like? Not having Wi-Fi access and like kind of not having that connection for a little bit. Was that expected? Was it hard? Was it? Um, I think it was. I mean, it was fine. It um, there was still like plenty of cell service, so I didn't feel maybe as kind of shocked to be disconnected. I think I brought my like my backpack and everything that has my computer in it because I thought maybe I'd do some editing for uh, mm. the show that we released on Monday, and I ended up not ah. doing it at all. I just you know I thought well I'll just do it later. I'll um, just kind of be present for the weekend. So I definitely could still 
access my phone. So like I said, scroll through some Twitter and Instagram and things like that. Um, but did, you know, try to just leave it in one place and hang out and do things like that uh, for the most part. So it was a good kind of balance of I couldn't accomplish a bunch of things. Like there was a couple of emails that I got that I thought, well, I should respond to these quickly. And I couldn't until we got back, yeah. which maybe was a good thing, you know. Um, yeah. But still, it wasn't kind of throw my whole system into shock all of a sudden not having any access. Um, yeah. You know, because... I don't know, because I'm a millennial and that'd be <laughs> uh, But yeah, it was a good, it was a good balance. Mm, that's good. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about this week's episode? Because I did not get to be a part of this one, unfortunately. Yeah. Another meeting I had, but yeah. It was great. Actually, we're recording this kind of right after, so it's fresh on my mind. But we were joined, mm -hmm. or I was joined, I guess. I think I say, I say we out of habit, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. by Lisa Schaub, who's a social worker. And she I has written, I mean, bonkers amount of books. Let me pull this up. Something like 17 self-help oh books and workbooks gosh. for children and teens and adults. Uh, we hope. focus mostly on teens because most of her workbooks are for teens, but things like, I know you're, you're looking at some of the list there too, but mm -hmm. you know, yeah. self-esteem workbooks for teens. Uh, I think there's three of those, an anxiety yeah. workbook for teens, a depression workbook, a divorce workbook, a, bul a bulimia workbook for teens, wow. uh, just all sorts of workbooks for teens that we, and we talk some in this, in this episode about that process, but she, she's very oh, careful great. to take evidence-based things, you know, so things that we would say research says this works and then translate it into, into practical activities. But her newest book is called Put Your Worries Here, and it's a creative mm -hmm. journal for teens with anxiety. And it is unlike actually any other uh, workbook I've, I've ever seen, actually. Wow. So the whole, the whole thing is activities like literally oh, the whole neat. thing. So I'm holding it here. This, yeah, I was this like, page is showing me like pages of it. <laughs> yeah. So this page says break up with your anxiety. So then there's like a blank page that says dear anxiety, blank, blank, blank. And so you can just write. And then the next page says create a collage using anything that brings you peace. And then this one, you fired your anxiety, uh, write its termination letter. What what does it take in the box when it leaves, you know, when it like leaves mm -hmm. the job or draw and describe the bridge that will take you from anxiety to peace. I mean, this, the whole book is different, mm. completely different things. I mean, it's an entire book of just activities That's awesome. that are anxiety and, and peace related, which is really, really interesting. And I think pretty helpful for, you know, teens that really like creative things and, and whatnot. But so we talked a lot yes. about not just that book, obviously about anxiety in general and uh, mm -hmm. how that how that kind of plays out in teens and why maybe that mm -hmm. is so common and um, all sorts mm -hmm. of things, which I'm sure, I mean, I, and I brought this up, but the countless articles I feel like right now about, you know, depression, anxiety rates in teens just rising and yeah. rising and a lot of debate happening about uh, why that is the case and what, what factors are in right. play and what we do with right. that. Um, and so yeah. it's a, it's a, something that I've, I've actually been learning a bunch about kind of by accident, mm -hmm. I think. So I've like obviously been looking through her book, but then I'm also reading a book by Dr. Lisa Demore called Under Pressure, Confronting mm. the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. Oh, because that's she awesome. Was on, she was on the Social Work Podcast, our friend that's right. Jonathan Singer. Uh -huh. So uh, I've been reading that, which is really interesting. And then I'm actually going through a training right now to get certified in like have a an additional certification as like an anxiety treatment specialist. 
So like oh, kind of great. all of these things all together. And so it's something, and obviously I work like I, my passionate area is uh, adolescents and, and young adults. So all of those things kind of swirling around in my head. So it was a really good conversation. Actually, after we finished, I opened Under Pressure to flip through because I was looking for a quote and noticed, interestingly, see, here's some like corporate synergy, which is the terrible uh-huh. phrase. But in her recommended resources in the back of this book, there's one of Lisa's other earlier workbooks. Anxiety oh, workbooks. that's I thought, awesome. Oh, that's really cool. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That's so neat. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. So we talked about all of that. That's a long way of saying we talked about anxiety in teens and we get some into mm-hmm. creativity and self-esteem and mm-hmm. what individuals can do, but then also what, you know, a youth pastor, a parent, a, a teacher could do to help, you mm-hmm. know, all sorts of that type of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, that's great. I can't wait to listen to y'all's conversation. I really yeah. That I couldn't be there. I mean, especially seeing she was a social worker, my heartstrings are just like, oh, I wish I <laughs> could have been there to, to chat with her yeah. fellow social worker. But but I cannot wait to hear this episode. So we mentioned this, but she is gonna we're gonna give away a signed copy of Put Your Worries Here. So make sure Ooh. listeners that you go check out uh, all the CXMH social media to learn more about That's that. Great. Because we're going to, yeah. if you want a signed copy of, of that book for yourself or a teen, you know. That's awesome. I love that. That's yeah. so good. I will say this. We usually make sure that we put a lot of links in the show notes to, to send you to mm-hmm. other resources and things. So this one, as I mentioned, doing a lot of learning, but I'm going to put a handful of books. I think that, that we would recommend between the two of us in the show notes. Yeah. If, you know, because if you have a, an anxious teen, you might really think, okay, what do I do here? You know, I'm kind of lost. So we're going to yeah. put a handful of things in the show notes there. So make sure you go and check that out if you if you usually skip over the show notes. Yeah. No, that's good. Definitely pay, pay attention to that one this week. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, here's our episode with social worker Lisa Schaub. Enjoy, y'all. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Lisa Schaub. She is a licensed clinical social worker with a private counseling practice in the greater Chicago area. She has authored 17 self-help books and workbooks for children, teens, and adults, including the Anxiety Workbook for Teens, the Self-Esteem Workbook for Teens. I actually have a pretty long list here of of these. I mean, 17 is no joke. And then uh, she also teaches self-help workshops and professional training courses on anxiety and journaling. Uh, and she is the author. Her newest book is called Put Your Worries Here, a creative journal for teens with anxiety, which we'll talk about some today. Lisa, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be doing this. But like I said, this is new for me. So yeah. I'm, I, um, I'm working my anxiety management skills. There you go. Well, we'll, we'll touch on some of those maybe that you're using with yourself. But that was kind of the official bio there. But anything else that you'd like to share with our audience about yourself or any fun facts or anything like that? Hmm, um, I had, uh, I guess I had a personal, I've had a personal experience with anxiety. So that's something that I bring to my clients and I feel has helped me be a good clinician. When someone's talking to me about a panic attack, I get it because I've I've been there. And um, when I first met my husband, he used to say, oh, you're kind of like an egg. I'm like, what? Well, you're fragile. (laughs) Uh, And, and I, and I was, but I, because of my own experiences and my own education and working and research and helping others, I've, I've come so far with that. And so um, it, it's just good 
to be able to sit with somebody who's feeling anxiety or panic and know, have that empathy and know what they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, that, and it helps them to know that you get it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And is that what got you into the field of social work and doing therapy was largely your own experience? Yes, but not with anxiety. I had been a preschool teacher and I was working with a child in my classroom who had a lot of behavior disorder behavior. So we were, I was working with the child, the school psychologist and the parents and myself. And I got interested because I had different ideas than the psychologist about how we should be going about this. And, and he was working solely in a behavior-oriented way, which was important. But I was also aware that the child's parents were getting divorced. Mm. And there was a lot of disruption at the home at the time. And I thought, you know, shouldn't we maybe be looking at that too? Yeah. And, um, and I had been through my own therapy. And so I put the two together. And then I went back and got my um, master's in social work because I wanted to help little kids. And yeah. So I guess also I, um, my um, mom was like queen of uh, not great handling emotions. <laughs> so, so um, she taught me like all the things not to do. And, um, and so I, I spent a lot of my early life learning how to cope. I, you know, I didn't learn coping skills naturally. And so, and then I wrote a book on coping skills. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you get there. Yeah. So you mentioned there that a lot of it had to do with wanting to help little kids, which you've written a couple books for kids, but also you've written a lot of books kind of specific to teenagers or adolescents, right? What made you so interested in working with and writing for teenagers? Yeah, that was not the plan at all. Uh, I did want to work with little kids. In fact, when I took my adolescent psychotherapy class in graduate school, I walked out of there at the end of the semester saying, well, I won't be working with these guys <laughs> because uh, their normal is pathological. I mean, you know, <laughs> mood swings and inner chaos and and just, uh, you know, emotional turmoil. And I thought, well, you know, no way, not going there. And then I started getting some teen clients and I now they're like my favorite population to work with. I love working with them. Yeah. It's very fulfilling. It's very satisfying. And there's just, there's so much hope in working with them mm. that I just keep going. So the way I actually did get into that though with the writing was that a publisher said, would you write this book for yeah. teens? Yeah. And so I said, okay. Yeah. And you, uh, it seems like you enjoy writing like workbooks for teens, right? So things that they can use at home and, and tools like that. So, and to me, that at least partially indicates that you believe in teenagers' strength and ability to work through things, overcome a lot of things using skills that they already have, or they can develop in, in that setting as well, right? So not always needing like just therapy, but that they have a lot of that, that skill as well. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Um, again, that was partly because the publisher was saying, you know, would you write this for teens? And I, I trust, um, right now I'm right mostly for new Harbinger publications and they're one of the foremost publishers and self-help materials. And they're really, um, pride themselves in being evidence-based research-based and knowing the market and knowing what's needed. So I trusted if they said we need an anxiety workbook for teens or we need a self-esteem workbook for teens, that okay, you know, I guess we do. And I, I would never write anything that I didn't feel confident in the subject matter. Yeah. Um, but it was a good combination. And since, so that's how I, really started writing for teens is because there was a need and that's what I was asked to do. Yeah. But since then, I have really come to understand and believe in teens' ability 
at that age, they're, they're at the perfect age, I think, to take in uh, the information that's helpful and healthy because they're searching, because yeah. they're floundering, because they're in that hard adolescent developmental stage that just kind of throws you all over the place. So they're they're hungry for help and they're hungry for for ways to help themselves. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the workbooks I write can be used either by the teen themselves, but a lot of them are used with professionals too. So yeah. in a therapy setting or in a group setting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I agree with you there. Long time listeners of the show will know that I work mostly with kind of adolescents and young adults in that age range as well, because I, I believe a lot of those same things. Obviously, there's a lot of searching and uh, confusion and it's a hard time for people. And I think even if we look at kind of the recent brain information that we have, there's a lot of neuroplasticity, which just means they're really good at learning things. So if we can help people right. in that stage, then hopefully they'll carry that forward. You mentioned there a lot of your workbooks being used with professionals, but also maybe individually. How would you, if you, uh, you know, say you're a parent of a teen or something like that, know kind of where the boundary is between, well, I could just buy my teen this anxiety workbook, or maybe they also need some professional help and this workbook. Yeah, good question. Um, really important question, I think. And and that would be, I think, you know, you start with the book. It, it depends on the individual situation. But if you see your, your teen struggling with anxiety in any way, shape or form, you know, you first of all, you need to have a conversation about it and talk to them about it and see where they are and do they even realize it and what kind of help do they think they need? I, I always start with the teen, you know, what would feel good to you as a place to start? Now that's in an average situation. If something is extreme or the person's in danger, you know, of hurting themselves or something, then you don't say, hey, well, what do you feel like? You right. say, we need to get you help. But um, the workbooks or the books can be, you know, that can be a starting place for them to kind of go through on their own. And if you see, like, I read the comments on Amazon that people leave about <laughs> my books, and and some of them say, oh, yeah, you know, my 14-year-old or my 16-year-old worked through this, and it was really helping them. And um, that's great. But a lot of times, kids can't do it on their own. And it is to a point where it's interfering in their lives, or it's affecting their grades, or um, their relationships, or their ability to, to just function in a healthy way. And then that's when you say, you, maybe you need something more, and we have to, you know, take yeah. care of you, help you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So a couple of your books focus on anxiety, including the newest one that actually I'm holding right here, Put Your Worries Here, that I yeah. mentioned. Uh, yeah. And I know you've written for other areas as well, but it seems kind of like common knowledge, right? We're seeing a lot of articles about anxiety and depression rates rising amongst teenagers and adolescents and college students and things like that. Uh, does that fit with what you're seeing in terms of the, the young clients that you have and things like that? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I have a mix. I see um, teens and adults, and I see it in both you know, but teens, young adults, and adults, um, there's there's a lot of struggling out there yeah. right now. Yeah. And, you know, we all talk about, you know, what's going on, what's going on, what's happening. Um, and there's different theories and there's different ideas about it. And I, you know, myself, I, I kind of have landed in a, a the, the frame of it's what's going on outside of us and mm. what's going on inside of us is for teens. Um, well, what's going on outside our environment today yeah. and our culture, yeah. it has a lot of scary stuff in it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of natural disaster. There's a, there's a lot of things that 
teens can be afraid of or anybody yeah. could be. And, um, and I think partly because we have such access to it, yeah. or, you know, a hundred years ago, someone in the Midwest where I am, if there was a terrible hurricane in Florida, I wouldn't have known about it because right. we just have the ability to know those things. Yeah. And so with technology that's helped us in so many ways, but it also brings things to us that we wouldn't have known about. And, and a lot of, you know, there is the good news network out there, which I subscribe to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They send the good news to your email box every day. But mostly what we hear about on the internet or on the news is the the big things that are happening that are, you know, oh my gosh, we need to worry about this. Right, so right. anyway, that's partly what's going on in our environment. And then at the same time, what's happening inside is, is I don't think kids and teens are are growing up with the coping skills that they need inside in order to mm. manage that, um, getting that information. And partly, and I'm not, I'm, this isn't a technology bashing conversation at all, because <laughs> there's a lot of good to it. But also, because of technology, we it, it prevents us in some ways from having to sit with discomfort mm. as, as much as maybe in days past. So because we can always go to the phone or the screen or the, you know, something. And it's, we're, we're a pretty fast paced culture now where we can drive through for anything. Yeah. I don't have to go to a store. I just click a couple buttons and I've, I've shopped. Yeah. Uh, if I need something, you know, I, so our needs, our, our, our ability to have a strong delay of gratification muscle, mm. um, I think is getting weaker. Yeah. So, so you combine kids that don't have the coping skills or aren't learning them with a kind of a world that where you need more coping skills yeah. and anxiety goes up because yeah. there's also, you know, just there's, there's social media. <laughs> um, and I'm comparing myself to everybody. And I'm, I'm comparing myself to somebody else's highlight reel. And yeah. uh, I'm not seeing the stuff that they're hurting about. And so I think everybody is better than me. Yeah. Um, and then there's, so there's competition in that way. There's, I had a friend whose daughter was applying for colleges, and the uh, advisors were telling her, you know, you're not just competing with other kids in the US, you're competing globally. Yeah. Oh, Wow. Okay. So, so that's a little more pressure, and mm -hmm. uh, and kids worry about, you know, am I going to get into school? Am I going to get a job? And at at younger and younger ages, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. So, um, so anxiety anxiety goes up. Yeah. Because um, we're not prepared to to handle all this stuff. Yeah. No, that's so good. I agree with all of that. I'm glad that you you gave maybe a more nuanced, a balanced, a uh, you know, mention of technology there, because I know that that's pretty easy to, you know, point the finger at. But yes, um, you know, there's positives and negatives, obviously. There is. I mean, we're having this conversation because right, of technology. Yeah. And, and anyone that's, that's right. listening to this is getting hopefully good information via technology, right? I've made some right. of my best friends in the world using internet things, right? So, but it's, it's a tool like any other that can be used for good things right. or negative right. things. And yeah, so I think one of the interesting things is that uh, Something that seems often in my clients and even when I talk to parents or uh, youth pastors or whoever it is, there tends to be this like clumping of all anxiety and stress and all of that together as something bad to avoid, which maybe gets at what you were saying about we, we can move on from uncomfortable feelings quicker, right? If I feel bad, then I can jump on something else, right? I would guess that you, you would say, hey, well, there's good stress and bad stress. There's useful anxiety and bad anxiety, right? Because it serves some purpose. How do we maybe differentiate between 
well, this stress is good because it's making me do my homework versus, hey, I'm totally stressed or anxious or, you know, like, how do we sort through all of that? Yeah, um, that's a good point, too. I I was at a, a high school a couple of weeks ago and they were film they were showing um the movie Angst. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's Mm-mm. it's being um, distributed around the country now, and it's about teen anxiety. Hmm. And they're, the purpose is trying to educate parents on and and kids on anxiety. And they were talking about the difference between, you know, when you when you feel a little stressed, like oh, I have a test coming up. And I'm a little stressed about that because what if I what if I don't do well? What if I don't pass it? So then that that stress, that natural reaction, motivates you to oh, so I'm going to study. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So I'm going to study. Um, you know, today I was like, wow, I want to make sure I get this information to the your audience, to the people. So mm-hmm. I went over my notes and I thought, okay, yeah, what do I want to make sure I tell them? Yeah. So that motivates us to to take action. And stress is usually a um, Stress is more of a short term, I think, and it's a reaction to a specific incident, a specific environmental action that's coming sure. up, that's happening. Yeah, like a, a pressure. I, yeah, right. So a test or a dance or a interview or something. Sure. Anxiety is a little different in that it's more of a long-term pervasive hmm. emotional state. So say I'm stressed about the test tomorrow so it motivates me to study but then after i take the test it's gone because the test is over anxiety is if i then continue to ruminate about the test my grades my future tests my will i get into college will i graduate will i and and it doesn't go away and it and it goes on longer and i have trouble managing it yeah if i feel the stress for a test i can manage it by taking some deep breaths and studying, but the anxiety is harder to, to dissipate and can become full-blown anxiety disorder. Yeah. So I guess to answer your question, maybe the positive about anxiety is that it motivates us to learn emotional health skill, coping skills. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think we more see the positive of, of stress as mm motivation to take action or to to make a change or to do something positive yeah that answers the question yeah well your books focus a lot on practical skills right even when we were emailing back and forth you said uh, you know they're evidence-based concepts that are translated into practical skills which i think is perfect that can be used when facing various situations so anxiety or uh, depression or things like that we're talking mostly today obviously about anxiety but could you talk us through maybe just a, a couple of those suggestions obviously not all of them because your books have you know dozens and dozens of of these ideas but just a couple of those practical skills or maybe explain, are there common themes among them or things like that? Yeah, I guess I'll start more broadly. The um, All the activities in the books and the way we, we educate and teach are, are evidence-based. So I did my research before I wrote the books and, <laughs> and created the activities. And I always feel good because I they're kind of affirming that, oh, this is what I'm doing. Okay, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. But but so... so um, there's certain things that we know that help with anxiety, for instance. Yeah. Um, cut, well, medication is one, but I don't put that in a workbook <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's, not a, it's something you go to the doctor for. Um, but cognitive behavioral therapy is, is one of the go-tos for managing anxiety. And that just means 
working with our thoughts. Cognitive mm. is our thoughts. Right. So we know that a huge amount of anxiety comes from the way we think about things, mm. the way we think about our situation. And I, I use this so much with my own clients, and we can talk about that more later. But um, so the activities in the books are based in cognitive behavioral therapy, also dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a derivative of CBT, um, and it adds in some mindfulness and distraction and other things that are really helpful. Yeah. Um, different experiential therapies, such as um, journaling or um, mindfulness, or oh, mindfulness is DBT also, um, meditation, breath work, and, uh, and even exercise. We know that physical exercise is way at the top of the list for helping people manage anxiety. Yeah. So those are all neuro neuroscience now we can add to the list because yeah. now we not only know that these certain things work, but we understand neurologically why they work. Yeah. So we know that when you practice this particular skill, it's actually making changes in your brain. And a lot of people find that helpful to know. It's it's kind of like, oh, there's so there's not I'm not flawed. It's something that's happening in my brain. Yeah. Oh, and there's hope because I can change that. That's awesome. Like you said, neuroplasticity. Yeah. Our brains are always able to grow and develop. So that gives us hope that things can get better. Yeah. Um, so so we take those basic theory bases that we know and these kinds of things, kinds of treatments help. And I guess it's my job as the writer to put them into practical exercises, yeah. um, which are the coping skills. So <laughs> there's different ways. That I guess I'll just say there, the one anxiety workbook for teens, which is apparently just sells like crazy because there's a lot of people with anxiety. But um, in the table of contents, there's a lot of cognitive things. We work on attitude, worry, all or nothing thinking, overgeneralization, um, should statements. So all, these are all like cognitive distortions or ways we think that aren't helpful. Yeah. And so we work on trying to change those. Then we also, it talks about nutrition. It talks about easing your breath, meditation. And as you have a faith-based audience, we also talk about it in this, I called a higher power, but how you can use your faith system or your belief system to help you, whether yeah. that's prayer or um, believing there's a plan for me, something goes wrong, or, um, you know, just everything's going to turn out okay, because I'm being guided or protected. So, you know, that's even in there. There's a yeah. one in that visualization is another one, it kind of goes all across the board. So there's the workbook teaches those skills directly, and gives examples like, um, Joey was having this experience, and here's how he used this skill to help him. Yeah. Then, then the the newest book, the guided journal, is, which we're kind of excited about because we're hoping it's going to be really helpful. Um, it's more of it, it also is all based in those skills, but it gives you a more of a hands-on, practical chance to use them. So for example, working with my thoughts, one of the prompts is, you know, list your, list your anxious thoughts on this page, then cover them with duct tape. Mm. So it's like, oh, really? But yeah. <laughs> it's a little more engaging and fun or touch a drop of vanilla or lavender across this page or another essential oil that, that calms you. Breathe in, 
breathe out. Yeah. Um, so we use breath work and there's distraction in there. One of the prompts is trace your toes on this page. <laughs> Give each of them names and little hats or bow ties. And that's, oh, so if I distract myself, hmm. that will help me calm down. This is supposed to help you in the moment reduce anxiety. So I work with my thoughts. I work with my breath. I help myself calm down. Um, there's mindfulness prompts and meditation prompts. And there's even one that says, take a five-minute dance break and then write about how you feel now. Yeah. So helping them understand that by I actually doing this, this is I'm, I'm learning to do it. I'm reducing anxiety in the moment. Yeah. And I'm also um, learning that this is a skill. This is something I can use in the future. This is a coping skill. Yeah, yeah. I just talked all over the place. Did I answer your question? <laughs> no, no, you're good. No, that's great. I think you did because you, you mentioned kind of all these different areas that I think is, is really helpful because some people say, well, just eating right isn't doing it or things like that. But knowing that, hey, there's kind of all these different approaches and working together are really helpful, right? And so even a lot of those, uh, you know, we had a, a guest a while back who said that he conceptualizes anxiety as fear in a time machine. And so a lot of the things that mm. you just said, you know, smelling and touching and how do you feel right now, we know grounding techniques kind of bringing yes. it back to right now, focusing on your breath, mindfulness kind of makes it impossible to then be ruminating worried about so much about the future, this thing, that thing, you know, am I going to fail yes. out of college, you know, yes. uh, even though that's years and years away. And so, you yes. know, I think that's helpful. And that's, that's using your thoughts right there. I mean, that's that cognitive. One of the things I use with teens a lot in my office is I'll, when they say, well, you know, well, what can I do? I'm like, okay, let's ask these, answer these questions. Do you think and do you breathe? And so mm. far, nobody's ever said no. <laughs> so, um, so I say, okay, then you have, you have two of the most important tools and most effective tools for managing anxiety, mm. your breath and your thoughts. So, and then I go into an explanation about how our thoughts, I have a whole little story I tell about how our thoughts create our feelings and anxiety is a feeling. And depending on which thoughts we choose to hang on to, we're going to be able to raise or lower our anxiety. Mm. But in order to think clearly, to think about our thoughts, we need to be breathing. Yeah. We need to be getting oxygen to our brain. So the first order of business is to just take a breath. So use that breath. And is and I, I'll do it right there in the session. And I'll I'll take my breath and say, you know, I'm not particularly anxious right now, but I do feel a little hypey because I want to tell you all this stuff. <laughs> and and as soon as I take my breath, I feel my muscles relax. I can feel myself calm down. And I'm getting oxygen to my brain. I can't make good choices about my thoughts if I'm not thinking clearly. I need oxygen up there. Yeah. So, and you know, you don't have to pay for your breath and your thoughts. You don't have to go anywhere in particular. You don't have to pack <laughs> them with you. They're there. You can yeah. always use them. And that's really empowering. Um, teens need to to have hope and feel that they can beat this because sometimes their anxiety is so overwhelming that they just feel like they're drowning in it and there there's nothing they can do. And when you when you can help give them practical tools and and things that they can they can get and grasp that oh I can do that. Yeah. Well, that's something I can do, you know? I reflect that to them a lot. I'll I'll do a um I'll do an anxiety rating scale with someone who's feeling anxious and like, okay, on a one to 10, 10 high, where are you right now? Yeah. And, oh, I'm at 10 or I'm at eight or whatever. And I'm like, okay, let's take a breath. 
or let's close your eyes and imagine something awesome, something that makes you feel really calm. So we do some kind of a coping skill. And then I say, let's, let's rate it again. Where's your anxiety now? And they'll go, well, I'm down to a six or, oh, I'm down to a four. And what's so important about that is I let them know that your circumstances haven't changed, okay? Mm. Your test hasn't gone away. Your um, Whatever you're worrying about in the future hasn't gone away. But your anxiety level has gone down. Yeah. And it's because of what you did inside of you. Yeah. And that's... Any of those chances you have, you know, to empower that teenager and help them realize, oh, my gosh, I can do something about this. Yeah. Um, They, we we all need that, but they need that a lot. Yeah. And we know, I mean, if you think about the stage of life that teenagers are often in, there's not, there tends to be a lot of things that they can't control in their life, right? You have to go to school, you have to do this. And so that like autonomy and independence, which is what they theoretically should be figuring out at that stage makes sense that that would be really important so maybe that maybe that leads pretty well into the next question which is you know i'm not sure how many teenagers we have listening necessarily there may be some which would be awesome but i know we have plenty of you know parents or youth pastors or teachers or even mental health professionals that work with adolescents but if i'm uh, someone who doesn't have a lot of mental health training i'm just a parent or youth pastor or something what can i do to help if i say this teenager seems really anxious uh, you know how can I help to do those types of empowering or those type of things that maybe doesn't require a mental health license? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good question. And I guess there's a lot of things. Um, first of all, <laughs> is to is to help just be there for them. Just let them know that you are there. So you're giving them support and you're saying, I care. And you're someone that I, I'm someone you can talk to about this and I can help you. And if I don't have the answers, I can find them for you. So help them to feel not alone. Um, and mm. part of that is just by you being present with them. And then also help them to feel not alone by explaining that anxiety is so common. Yeah. It is the most common mental health issue that there is. So more people have anxiety than have anything else. So they're not alone. They're not the only ones. And you kind of normalize it in that way. Also let them know that it's also very, very treatable. Mm. So having anxiety doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, you're going to have to go to a hospital. You're, you know, you're, you're going to be in this state of panic the rest of your life. There's so many treatments and so many good treatments and you just need to find what works for you. So this is, if they're there, this is the beginning of their journey. The beginning of their journey is talking about it and letting someone know that they need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of hard today, too, because there's still this stigma around mental health and kids are afraid to speak up because they're afraid someone's going to think, you know, they're crazy or there's, you know, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Well, they're having an experience that most people have in life. Yeah. Um, that's why with the the journals too cuz they're so they're so different they're so non-clinical we're hoping that that will help combat that stigma and you know if you're doing something if you're designing a peace tattoo in your journal and it's making you calm down well that doesn't sound like oh i'm sitting with a therapist and there's something right. wrong with me okay so so letting them know they're supported letting them know they're 
they're okay. It's okay to feel anxiety and um, you can get help. There's something you can do. I, I think we really need to somehow, my hope is that we, we kind of mainstream mental health more. Mm. Um, we, we bring it more into a, into everything <laughs> so yeah. that we're talking about it. Um, the principal at the high school I said I was, I was at with for the anxiety movie, he was saying, you know, we really need to address this in our schools because if you're not emotionally healthy and stable, it doesn't matter what kind of grades you get, Yeah, you know? So, so schools, their main goal is academics. It's supposed to be that way, but they're also recognizing that they need to help educate kids about their emotional health and how to handle it. And that goes across the board, whether that's in schools or in churches or other, you know, faith-based places, um, anybody who's working with kids or physicians, you know, and, and parents, parents too, you know, you, you have to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Are, are you using healthy coping skills? Do you know um, what those are? Yeah. And can you be a good role model? That's another thing, especially for parents, is to role model healthy, what do I do when I'm feeling stressed or anxious? Yeah. You know? And so parents need to be educated too, because they don't always know. And they're in the kids will, you know, directly learn from their parents if the parent says, Hey, take a breath, take a break, you know? Right. Or or by what the parent does themselves, you know, if if they're often in panic mode and and aren't handling it well, then the kids gonna follow that suit. But so you need to need to teach the skills. And I always tell parents one of the best things you can do for your kids is to be healthy yourself, mm. because again, you're role modeling, and also then then when they bump into you, that's what they're gonna get. There, if you go into a panic when they're in a panic. They're going to panic more. Right, right. If you can can be grounded and steady and taking your own breaths (laughs) whenever you can, then your your teen or your child is going to feel more safe and secure because there's someone in their environment, in their immediate space that that is okay and that they can count on. And just, you know educating us educating everybody about what those coping skills are and how we can use them to help our kids yeah oh no i think that's great would you recommend if i'm a parent and i say well i'm I'm trying to learn how to cope with my anxiety your workbooks obviously are marketed towards teens but is there a particular thing you'd say this might be helpful if you're an adult trying to think through your own coping skills either of yours or somebody else's or you know a website or something helpful like that if i take what you just said to heart and try to do something yeah yeah and um yeah you know i have i have a 40 year old client who carries around the the guided journal for teenagers with him <laughs> because he says it's really helpful. So you can be of any age to learn. It, they're all the same skills. The books are geared towards teens and teen language, but yeah. we all need those, whether no matter how old we are. And whether it's my books or somebody else's, there's tons of good resources out there. You know, there's a lot of workshops now. There's You can Google. <laughs> um, you can be in a an anxiety management chat group online um you can find you can find resources just about anywhere if you look because it's so common and you can always 
you know, if you're so inclined, there's a million good therapists out there in the world who are very well versed in, in helping people through that. So there's lots of ways, lots of self-help, lots of good books, lots of good programs and lots of good therapists. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I really like about put your worries here, which is the new one that you've been talking about, right, is it's all it's all activities. They're all just a huge variety of activities, which I think speaks something to the fact that, A, obviously you think creativity is a helpful thing in, in developing coping skills, uh, but also, uh, you know, if one of these pages you say, uh, I don't like that one, that one doesn't resonate with me, that there's something on the next page that might. And so maybe part of it is saying, you know, which of these things works well for me as opposed to, well, everybody has to do this same very specific thing and, and feeling bad if it doesn't work for you. Absolutely. And that's the way I think that's one of the keys to all anxiety management um, education and how I work with my clients is that we need to find what works for you because somebody will come in and say, okay, you know, how are you going to help me and how long is it going to take and uh, till I'm till I'm better and say, well, you know, I may have worked with dozens and dozens of people with anxiety or hundreds over the years, but I've never worked with you before. So we have to find out what works for you. And that might be similar to what works for someone else. And it might be tweaked a little differently. Um, Everybody has to find their own way. And I think it's, it's my job as a therapist to help them do that. And to, I try to always reflect back to them. And that's something that helping adults can also do. When you see a teen using a healthy healthy coping skill or finding a way to manage stress, reflect that back to them. Okay, so look what you just did. Oh, and that was helpful for you? Awesome, let's remember that. You know, let's write it down. Let's put it in the toolbox so we can use it again if it comes up again. And sometimes, you know, if you ask a kid or a teen, they can come up with, I have one thing in the book about, tracing your soft circles on the top of your knees. Like, really? My eight-year-old granddaughter (laughs) told me about that. You know, she's like, yeah, grandma, that's what I do all the time when I feel nervous. I'm like, oh, and I tried it. I'm like, oh, that feels good, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, so ask, you know, asking the teens too, um, that helps them. They need guidance, but they also need to be a part of their own recovery and a part of their own treatment because that's empowering for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So I know we have a little bit of time left. So I'd love to ask, you've written a number of books about self-esteem for teenagers as well, right? Which maybe is kind of like a vague term that everyone kind of, we, yeah, sure, I kind of know what self-esteem means, but I kind of don't. Can you talk about what what that even means and then why it's important, how it connects to anxiety, things like that? Yes, yes. Uh, that's a good question. Um, and it is kind of a vague term, and I'm going to actually have to read from the book to tell you (laughs) definition here, but, but initially just in general, self-esteem relates to anxiety in that the healthier self-esteem someone has, um, the less they're going to have to struggle with anxiety. Okay. Mm. Because they've got a solid inner anchor inside them. Okay. They have a, a belief in themselves and their, their value and their worth as a human being. And so, if they go on Instagram and see or on Facebook and go, oh, look at, you know, somebody's doing this or somebody's doing that and I'm not and I'm not that good. They're going to go, wait a minute. I'm okay. Yeah. That's just another person doing their thing. So my anxiety isn't going to go up. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so self-esteem basically is just what you, the way you think about yourself. Hmm. Okay. So, and 
some people think, oh, healthy self-esteem is when I walk around saying I'm great, and that's right, not yeah. it at all. If you have healthy self-esteem, you don't have to walk around saying you're great. Mm. Y- you you have an inner sense of security, but you don't have to feel that you're better than anybody else. You you know you're not. You know you're equal, mm. and you know everyone else is equal to you. Yeah. And that's one of the basic tenets of healthy self-esteem. Yeah. So I say in here, you know, people with healthy self-esteem generally have positive thoughts and feelings about themselves. They're certain enough of their equality with others that they can admit their faults without feeling ashamed and enjoy their strengths without putting others down, okay? Healthy self-esteem is a deep knowing that you are a valuable person and so is everyone else. When you have healthy self-esteem, you don't have to have someone else affirm you or you don't have to achieve a certain goal to feel good about yourself. You don't have to feel better than someone else to know you're okay because you know your self-worth doesn't depend on whether you win or lose. Hmm. So some characteristics are you have an overall positive regard for yourself, an understanding and acceptance of your weaknesses, a celebration of your strength, a realistic belief about your quality others. You know and accept yourself. You practice compassion for yourself and others. You can act with integrity and self-discipline. You can use healthy coping skills with your thoughts and actions (laughs) to meet life challenges. And you have a conviction of your unconditional worth despite changing life circumstances. And because of that, you can, you can act with respect for the value and worth of other people too. Yeah. So it's kind of a solid inner anchor, like I said, yeah. a core that you bring to everything. You bring it to your relationships. You bring it to your job, to your school, um, to everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some, I'm going to, the next two questions are similar to ones I've asked before, right? But what are some of the suggestions you have for activity, like ways for an individual to to maybe build a healthier self-esteem? And then also maybe after that, what about people trying to help a teenager with their self-esteem, right? Because you mentioned it's not just pumping them up with positive, you know, regardless of anything, but yeah. you know, kind of developing that healthy self-esteem. Yeah, yeah, um, that's huge. Uh, that I could go for an hour on that. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll have we'll have you back on for really, yeah. really. But a couple of the things that need to be understood, however, this can get across, is that first of all, your self esteem is in your hands. So, our self esteem is what we think about ourselves, hmm. not what someone else thinks about us. Everybody else could think we're the greatest person in the world, and if you don't think that. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's healthy self-esteem. Or everyone else could think we're the worst person in the world. But if we don't think that, it doesn't matter either. It's what we think about ourselves. Yeah. So our self-esteem is really in our hands. And, you know, how do you teach that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you teach it. You teach it. And you, you get that concept across. But but also what's necessary is the the real honest belief that I have intrinsic value and worth. Mm. Okay. And so does everybody else. And, you know, I kids will go, oh, but no, so-and-so is better than me. And so-and-so is better. And I'm like, no, no. It, it, again, it looks that way because you're looking on social media. But we're all there. We're all – it's an even playing field. And I'll tell the story about when babies are born in the nursery and they take the baby and they're going to put it in the little room with the other babies. And do they say, oh, they look at the baby and they say, Oh, yeah, well, this one is going to go with the babies with no self-worth. Mm. And then this one is going to go with the babies that have value. Yeah. And 
And everybody goes, oh, no, that's crazy. No, of course, we all have value. Okay, right, we do. Yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't change from the minute we're born until we're 15. What changes is what we think. Hmm. And so, again, it's going back to that power of our thoughts. We need to work with our, with our thoughts. And that goes back to our self-esteem is in our hands. So those are beginning places to, to help kids start to realize. And I tell the story, I had a second, third cousin who um, he and his brother were hearing impaired from birth. And they were raised in a really supportive family. And the parents went out and got educated and got in support groups and did all this stuff to help them with their hearing impaired state. And they're some of the two of the guys with the most healthy self-esteem I've ever met. And and the one story I tell my clients is this is an example. This kid went to school one day and he had these new shoes. And People were coming up and making fun of him and saying, ha, ha, look at those shoes. And oh boy, oh, no shoes. Oh, and, and he looked at him and he said, I really like my shoes. <laughs> and he walked away. I'm like, that's healthy self-esteem. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's when you don't, you don't have to prove anything. You're good with yourself. You're fine with your shoes. And, um, you know, we, we all have moments when, when our self-esteem dips and, or goes up. But, but in general, if you can be grounded in that, you know, and that, that's something when I work with kids in my office, um, I, I try in that session and in our relationship to build that self-esteem just by reflecting to them, just by empowering them or, or feeding back to them, you know, um, so this is something that is that you're good at, that you're naturally good at. Oh, that's awesome, you know. Or or when they say something, I'll, I'll say, that's a really good insight. Hmm. Teens have great insights on themselves. And let them know that. That's a really good insight. Yeah. You know, that will help you in life when you have that. And it doesn't, doesn't have to be, let's make a list of all the things you're good at. I mean, we, we might do that too. But it's in those moments, you know, are you looking in someone's eyes? Are you really listening to them and saying, yeah. What you say is important, and um, and you can do that with your child or with your someone in your um, your class or whatever position you're in with a teenager in a in a helping way. Yeah. Um, you know, let them know that they're important to you and are important in general, and you have value. And wow, that's something that not everyone has. Or this is you know this is um, this comes from your authentic self that is just as valuable today as it was when you popped into that little nursery in the maternity ward. Yeah, yeah, right. that's awesome. Hey, if you want to connect with Lisa, you can find her at lisamshawbooks.com, but there's only one B, so the B in Shab also works for books. So lisamshawbooks.com, you can find all of her books on Amazon. Y'all, I'm telling you, especially for teens, there's the self-esteem habit for teens, self-esteem for teens, the self-esteem workbook for teens, the anxiety workbook for teens, uh, divorce workbook for teens. There's a depression workbook, a bulimia work. I mean, there's all sorts. Uh, and then this newest one, which really is super creative. And I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. Put your worries here, a creative journal for teens with anxiety. And I think actually we will be giving a copy of that one away, a signed copy yeah. maybe even. 
Sure, I can sign. Yeah, a signed <laughs> copy. That's easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so check all our social media accounts, the CXMH accounts, to find out more information about that. Obviously, we'll have links to all those in the show notes. Holly's not here, but if you want to connect with her, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Lisa, thank you so much for taking some time and talking to us today. Are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, you know, there's one. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the the chance to share some of the things I've learned and picked up along the years. Um, one of them, as far as people who work with teenagers, there was a quote that I read long ago, and I apologize, I don't have it at hand right now. But it said something about all a troubled teen needs is one connection with one healthy adult to make a difference. Yeah. And and that to me, I mean, I, I was probably in a seminar somewhere, but I wrote that down and that that really helped me and helped empower me and made me feel that what I'm doing, you know, sometimes I feel overwhelmed or I think, oh my gosh, what could I possibly do to help? And yeah. and just just being if I'm if I can be a healthy adult for that person and they can have a connection and I know that that's gonna help them, that's awesome. And people need to remember that too, that we can make a difference. Yeah, so. that's so good. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. This is fantastic. We're, we'll, uh, I'll send you an email. We'll try to have you back on to talk more about self-esteem okay. or any of these other topics. But okay. thank you, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You're welcome. Thanks, Robert. You too. Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.